Well, good morning. In the event that you didn't hear Nathaniel, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians 6, uh, uh, verses 11 through 18. While you open or load your Bible, uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Uh, it's a joy to be with you because uh, it's Christmas weekend. And so thank you so much for joining us and being here with us. The faithful, the true, the ones coming to, to the gathering on a Sunday morning right after Christmas. And I would add that as we began to, to plan for 2022 a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Christmas Day lands on Sunday next year and we're gathering so you might as well just mark your calendar now no we're not going to go off on our theology we're meeting all right anyway whatever uh, we can keep moving forward um, if you are new we would love to hang out with you right even if it's Christmas week into the new year make that your last thing we want to hang out with you there are these connect cards on the on the chairs before you uh, take one fill one out uh, and if you're not ready to hang out let us know how we can pray for you in addition to that, we have Bibles. That is our gift for you this morning. Uh, once more, we're going to find ourselves in Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. Now, when we first began this series back in September, uh, I had opened with the story of Rocky Balboa, Clubber Lang, and Apollo Creed from the masterpiece Rocky III, which was released in 1982. And if you're familiar with this film, Rocky finds himself in a place where he was questioning his identity after losing the championship title to Clubber Lang, played by Mr. T. And after the death of his manager, Mickey, Rocky begins to realize that he had forgotten all about who he was and he had forgotten all that he was trained to be. Apollo Creed, Rocky's former opponent, comes alongside Rocky to train him so that Rocky would get what Apollo called the eye of the tiger, that he would get the eye of the tiger back. And so just as Rocky needed Apollo Creed, the Galatians needed the Apostle Paul to get the eye of the tiger back. And so for over three months, we have examined the Apostle Paul's reasoning for writing to the Galatians. He opens on this in chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, I am seeing that you have turned to a different gospel of a different nature. We have seen Paul's response to the false teachers in Galatia. We have seen Paul jump on the Galatians and their loss of discernment, saying, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? And for almost three chapters, we saw Paul introduce and expand his argument on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And finally, as we walked into chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, Paul introduced the practical application as to what it means to walk in the Spirit. Last week, we saw that walking in the Spirit produces biblical community. And today, we arrive at our final section of Galatians. We are landing the plane. 
And so like Apollo, who angrily pleads toward Rocky when they're at the gym in Los Angeles, in case you've seen Rocky III, they are at Tough Gym. And the way Apollo angrily pleads towards Rocky to focus, the Apostle Paul summarizes the entirety of his letter in this section, and he puts his heart out on the line with one final plea toward the Galatians, providing them and us with one last contrast. And Paul's objective is simple. His main idea is clear. And that is to remind the Galatians that at the cross, and to remind us that at the cross, Jesus did for us what the law or our accomplishments cannot do for us. And so before we dig into our time, let me pray, and then we'll begin with verses 11 to 13. Father, the psalmist prays for your word to be sweeter than the taste of honey. And that's our prayer this morning. May your word be sweeter than the taste of honey. Father, we thank you for another year of Christmas celebration. We thank you for the gathering of the saints as we look to Jesus this morning through your word. And so, Father, may we incline our hearts toward Jesus and his work. May you fill us with more of Jesus through your spirit. And may you reveal Jesus to those who don't know him. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. As I mentioned, God through Paul makes one final plea to the Galatians by way of contrast. It's a final look at the characteristics of the false teachers that Paul has been writing against for the last uh, five chapters. The false teachers, or I should say it this way, for Paul it is clear. For Paul it is you either walk by the Spirit or you don't. The false teachers Paul was writing about do not walk by the Spirit because they are self-exalted They are self-centered, their motivation is self-made, and their walk is self-promoted. However, for those who walk according to the Spirit, they would exalt Christ. They are Christ or cross-centered. They are newly created, that is that they are new creation, and that they are courageous. Paul's motivation has been the same from the very beginning. There is no other gospel. And as a result of the gospel taking root in one's life, the heart is transformed and fruit is produced. And so I want you to consider his opening line in verse 11 before we look at these characteristics of the false teachers. Paul opens by saying, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It was common for Paul and for other authors to have someone else write their letters for them, like an assistant or a scribe. And at the end of their letter, what they would do, what the author would do, is that they would take the stylus and sign off on it so that they would see, or so that those who are reading it would see that it's coming from that author. In this case, it's Paul. Here, it seems as though Paul has taken the stylus and written this last portion on his own. And he says that he's writing with large letters, 
almost or the equivalent of writing in bold or in all caps. Paul is trying to emphasize what has already been said to the Galatians because for Paul, what is at stake isn't just the relationship between him and the Galatians. What is at stake is the very nature of the gospel. And so this is one final plea, one final warning, one final exhortation, one final push, one final advance to the Galatians you'll notice that this conclusion is similar to his introduction and unlike any of his other letters. Paul is to the point, Paul is blunt, but Paul is gospel-centered. When we opened in Galatians, we said that the goal was to start in the gospel and stay in the gospel. And by grace, Paul has started in the gospel and he has kept us in the gospel. And so let us consider the first set of contrasts. Let us consider the first characteristic of these false teachers. This is, again, one last smash to the false teachers. Paul begins by saying that they are self-exalted. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross. See, the false teachers, as we have seen, have been trying to persuade the Galatians to turn away from the gospel of Jesus and turn toward a gospel of a different nature. That is, the gospel that they have been preaching is to come back under the Mosaic law. That if the Galatians truly wanted to be righteous, if they truly wanted to be holy, if they truly wanted to be accepted, if they were truly saved, they would come under the restrictions of the Mosaic law. And over the course of our time, Paul has been attacking these false teachers. Paul has been pushing the Galatians. And here in this last section, Paul unpacks their motivation. Paul says in verse 12 that they put on a good showing in the flesh. That is, their motivation was nothing but a show. Their motivation to persuade the Galatians to turn away from the true gospel was nothing but a spectacle. It was like a cloud that has no rain. There's no sustenance. They simply wanted to show off. That's what he means by they have a good showing. And when it comes to in the flesh, that they are doing it for their own selfish and ungodly motivations. That this message of circumcision is what makes you or gets you saved, what makes you right before God. Paul's saying that's not really the issue here. Circumcision really isn't the issue, right? It's that they're saying this is what you need to be saved and their motivation behind this issue is selfish. They're just trying to put on a good show. It's not a godly motivation. These teachers' desire was not for the Galatians to know Jesus better or more deeply. This, the, their desire is so that they would be exalted and not Jesus. So that they would be talked about and not Jesus. So that they would be at the center of attention and not Jesus. So that people would know more about these teachers and not Jesus. That was the motivation for the false teachers. Paul adds that these false teachers avoid persecution. That is, as a result of their motivation, they avoid the hard things. 
See, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings forth life and transformation. We would call it fruit. But it doesn't mean that just because it does that, that the gospel is accepted everywhere. People like Paul and us experience hardship and suffering as a result of the gospel. However, those things, those hardships, that suffering, its intention is to draw us closer to Jesus. It is to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. Here what Paul is saying in verse 12 is, hey, they're trying to avoid all of that. They're trying to avoid persecution. They don't simply want to live comfortably. They want to live a life that is full of zeal and even knowledge of the Bible, but is void of Christ. And then he concludes, verse 13, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So the first characteristic of these false teachers is that they exalt themselves through their ungodly motivation, their avoidance of persecution, but also one of the things that you see is that they are eloquent hypocrites. See, earlier in Galatians, Paul went on to say that there was only one person who could faithfully fulfill the law, and that was Jesus Christ. That in order to fulfill the law, we need to live sinlessly, but no one apart from Jesus walks without sin. That was Paul's argument in Galatians 3. So using that logic, Paul goes on to say that these false teachers cannot even keep the the, the law themselves. They don't live sinless lives. And so as a result, they cannot keep the law. And so through their eloquent speech and trying to persuade the Galatians away from the gospel, their aim, their goal was just to boast, to speak loudly about themselves. Their aim was to boast in numbers. They wanted to report back to the Jerusalem church, look how many people are following us. Look how many people in Galatia are actually turning to us. Like some churches do with numbers and statistics and they make a big stink about them. That's what these false teachers were doing with the Galatians. They weren't in it so that the Galatians would know Jesus more. They weren't in it. Even even if it came down to uh, the Mosaic Law, they weren't in it for that. They were in it for the numbers. They were in it so that they would be exalted and not Jesus. And so when it comes to this first characteristic, why, why does this matter for you? You are going to be persuaded to look away from the true gospel and from sound doctrine by false teachers, ones who sound godly, who sound spiritual, who even sound wise. But beneath all of that, their motivation is to satisfy themselves. It isn't so that you would be drawn to the beauty and splendor of Jesus. And listen, I'm not talking about pastors or teachers that you listen to and you might disagree on like one or two things, maybe some secondary issues. Those aren't the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about pastors and teachers that you invest time into listening, their sermons, 
books that you invest time into reading, podcasts that you invest time into absorbing where you will be drawn away. And their speech and their teaching and their motivation and their churches and their classes and their lectures will have great zeal. And there will even be knowledge about the Bible, but it will be void of Christ. It will appeal to your selfish desires. And how could they be selfish if it sounds godly? Seek Christ through the word and walk by the Spirit. This week, those that you listen to, those teachers, those famous ones, I dare you to do your homework on them. I dare you to actually dig into their theology, to their doctrine. Those who walk with ungodly motivations exalt themselves and not the person and work of Jesus. The second characteristic that Paul uh, gives us of these false teachers is that they are self-centered. This is verse 14. Paul writes, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone's life preaches something about what they believe about God. Everyone. And when it comes to these false teachers, their life is no different, except their life preaches something about themselves. And that's what they want. That's the goal. These false teachers' goal was to preach a life about themselves. False teachers will spend a lot of time boasting and talking about themselves and what they do. I was watching, uh, I think it was like a YouTube clip, I don't know how long ago. And it was these TV evangelists. And I don't know many of them, and maybe some of you know them better um, because you're, like, testing them. Anyway, uh, maybe some of you know these. I'm talking about, like, the KCM, right? Kenneth Copeland's and uh, Jesse Duplantis. And there's this other one. I'm not even, the example isn't even about them. But um, this, it was an example about this other dude. He's on TV, don't know his name, forgot his name, uh, dark hair, goatee, whatever. And he's talking about uh, how the Lord called him to go buy a jet, right? It seems like that's all they do, but whatever. So he goes and he, it's like a, um, a TV segment. And he says, the Lord called me to go buy a jet and I paid for it in cash. And then as he says that, like the room is really quiet. And he goes on to say, I sense a spirit of jealousy in this room. And so let me tell you what I did after I bought the jet. I went back and paid for another one in cash. Yeah, that's a false teacher. Like, let's just say, fine, cool, you bought a jet. How does that point me to Jesus? What does that tell me about Jesus? I'm not going to say anything else about it, right? But here's the thing. And I'm not even knocking, well, I am, right? But I'm not just making it towards uh, TV evangelists, right? Because it's easy for many Christians to be like, oh yeah, they're the enemy. Like, yeah, man, they got some stuff they need to work on, they need to repent of, yes, for sure. And this kind of stuff, self-centeredness, exists in the church also. So not the guys, right? Like, they'll be like, yeah, they're the problem. It's probably you, right? False teachers do not worship the God of the Bible, 
They worship themselves. They worship their own notoriety, especially in that example. That would be an example. Verse 14 is the crux. It is the center of this entire section. What is it that Paul boasts about? What does Paul want to elevate? Look at verse 14. What does he want to elevate more than anything? It is the cross of the Lord Jesus. To Paul, nothing else matters. Listen, when there is sound doctrine specifically on the cross, it will be rejected. And because it is rejected, Jesus will be rejected. These false teachers didn't want to talk about the cross. And that's all Paul wants to talk about. You can listen to pastors and preachers and teachers preach and teach with knowledge and zeal from the Bible and never once hear about the cross. See, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul says that those teachers' preaching will be done in vain because the cross is the power of God onto salvation for all who believe. So Christian, let me ask you a question. Do you grasp, think about this for a second with me, do you grasp the significance of your cross or the cross? Today we wear a cross around our neck. We decorate our homes with crosses. We even uh, have some tattoos on our bodies of crosses. But truthfully, if someone from the first century were to time travel forward to our day, they would trip out they would trip out. The Latin word for cross is crux. And in the first century, it was regarded as an expression so crude and so horrible that no Roman citizen would say it in public. They would add words and try to go around it rather than saying crux. They would say something like, hang him on the unlucky tree. They wouldn't want to talk about it. The false teachers don't want to talk about the cross. Yet the godly are cross-centered. Our Savior was crucified on a cross. A horrendous public death. A lynching of horror in our place and for our sin. That is what Paul wants to boast about. That is what we boast about. False teachers are embarrassed by the cross. And if they don't deny it, they definitely underemphasize it. So consider, do you realize what you carry around your neck? Do you realize what you decorate your home with? To be cross-centered is not only to understand what Jesus went through, but in that time and space, wrath and mercy met. The grace of God has saved us from the wrath of God. Praise be to Jesus. That is what we boast in. And Paul ends verse 14 by saying, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When Paul uses the word world here, he's talking about a system of beliefs, a culture that does not know Jesus. And Paul says, to be crucified to the world means to walk in the light, to bear fruit in the Spirit, and to live in the freedom with which Christ has set him free. 
That is what it means to be crucified to the world. The cross is not a decoration. It is a declaration of Jesus' work for you. The third characteristic. Paul says that false teachers' teachings are self-made. They're self-made in that they preach about their numbers, they preach about themselves, and they love preaching about the outward appearance. For them, that's what counts. This is verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circumcision, but a new creation. Paul says, look, there's nothing wrong with circumcision. You want to go do it? Okay. Have fun, right? But it doesn't count for anything salvifically. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your heart. For Paul, he is saying what matters is whether you are a new creation or not. And this isn't just coming from the lips of Paul. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 23. He opens by saying, speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to other, but with others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That is coming straight from the mouth of Jesus. Man, you take the time to look righteous on the outside, to look like you got it all together on the outside, to make it show like you got it all put together. You're good. You're that really, really good Christian. But inside, you're full of dead men's bones. What Paul says, what matters is whether or not you are a new creation, whether you have a new nature with new desires, new affections, new habits, all given supernaturally through the Holy Spirit who brought forth life in you. There is no quick fix. There is no 12-step program. There is no how to be a better Christian or how to live your best life now that can produce this kind of transformation. It is only faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Paul adds, and adds, this is verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The word rule means canon. Paul is referring to the canon of Scripture or a rule of faith, what God has already said through His Word. Paul is saying those who walk according to that, those who walk according to the Spirit. We've talked about this previously. The word walk is habitual. It's a lifestyle. It's ongoing. right? Paul says those who walk according to the Spirit, those who are a new creation, receive mercy. You know what mercy is? You know the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. 
Paul says you receive mercy and you receive peace. That you are no longer estranged from God. That you are in right relationship with God because of faith in Jesus. You receive mercy, you receive peace, and it's almost as if he's praying for the whole people of God. That's why he ends with the Israel of God. The whole people of God, Jews and Gentiles, those who come to faith in Christ receive mercy and peace. Those who are a new creation, those who walk according to the Spirit, those who walk according to what God has revealed in his word receive mercy and peace. He says it this way to the Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. You are a new creation. That doesn't mean that you've arrived. That doesn't mean that you're the most mature Christian. That doesn't mean that you have all of the answers. It just means that your heart has been made alive in Christ. You have been made new through faith in Jesus. I'm going to repeat that one more time, then I'm going to end with a question. Not end our time, just this section. You are a new creation. That means that your heart has been made alive in Christ Jesus. You have been made new through faith in Jesus. What competes for this truth in your life? What competes for this truth in your life? Or with this truth in your life? See, those who are self-made believe a gospel about themselves, one that preaches an outward appearance. But those who have been made new by the Lord Jesus, bear fruit because of a new heart. And finally, we come to the last characteristic. False teachers promote themselves. That is, they are more concerned with everything else except for Jesus. Not only is their life void of Jesus and any transformation or any fruit, but void of any kind of endurance, void of any kind of perseverance, because once it gets hard, they bounce. And so Paul concludes this section. We're looking at verses 17 and 18. Paul concludes this section with three things for the Galatians and for us. So let's look at these verses quickly. He says, from now on, let no one cause me any trouble. That's the first thing he says. I love Paul. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. Right? In chapter 1, Paul like launches in with grace. In chapter 3, Paul calls the Galatians morons. In chapter 5, Paul goes on to say that he wishes that the, that the false teachers would be castrated. Right? Like he is nothing short of blunt. He's just putting it all on the line. Right? And so here he says, stop bothering me. But here's what he means. What Paul means is that he has made his final appeal. He has made his final plea to the Galatians. For Paul, the Galatians have a choice. He has laid it all out on the line. They have a choice to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. 
Paul doesn't want to be bothered by their agenda anymore. Paul doesn't want to continue to talk about the same thing because he has laid it all on the line. There is no other gospel apart from faith in Christ Jesus alone. So stop bothering me. The second thing that Paul says, he goes on to say, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Essentially, in light of everything that Paul has written to the Galatians about, Paul ends it by saying, how could they, or is answering the question, how could they tell if Paul was legit as compared to the false teachers? Paul says that he has the scars to prove his persecution. And these scars, check it, these scars are a result of his unflinching witness to the gospel. He has endured. He has persevered. The gospel has been what is at stake. He hasn't bounced and he won't bounce. He says it this way to the Corinthians. Are they servants of Christ? And we can get into this, but we don't have all the time. But nevertheless, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." So when Paul concludes Galatians by saying, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, he is saying, I have the scars to prove not just my persecution, but as a result, my unflinching witness to the gospel. When you read through Galatians, and as harsh as Paul can be to the Galatians, he's not doing it because he doesn't love them. He clearly reminds them that he loves them. In chapter 4, he calls them his sons and daughters. But what was at stake for Paul was the gospel. In the example that Paul gives in chapter 2 as to his conflict with the apostle Peter, it wasn't just Paul calling Peter out just to call him out. What was at stake for Paul was the gospel. Verse 18, Paul concludes... This is the third thing. He concludes with a benediction of peace. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Right? He's just straight to the point. In all of his other letters, he's like, so-and-so greet you with a kiss. Hey, make sure you tell this person I said hello. Hey, I'm going to try to make it your way in the winter. Here, he just closes it. Paul began this letter by emphasizing grace. And he concludes this letter with that same grace. Paul has put it all on the line. The Galatians know the burden of his heart. And the only thing left is for the grace of God to grab a hold of the Galatians and their misalignment and so that they would look to Jesus 
and walk by the Spirit. And as they do so, so that they would persevere. Paul has laid it all out on the table. Everything he could do. And so as we conclude Galatians, we have a decision to make. We have the decision to walk by the Spirit or to walk by the flesh. To reap according to the Spirit or to sow according to the Spirit or to sow according to the flesh. To be persuaded by eloquent and Christless doctrine or to stand firm in the grace of the Lord Jesus according to his word. To be won over by eloquent speech or to be drawn toward Jesus through the words of someone like the Apostle Paul. There is no other gospel apart from that of the Lord Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There is no other gospel. And as the new year rolls in, do not consider where your heart has been on December 31st. Do it now. Do not contemplate the gospels that you've been listening to all year on December 31st. Do it this morning. Do not negotiate that the new year will bring about new habits. Rather, look to your Savior today. We don't need a new year. We need redeeming grace. We need a grace that sustains. And it is through Jesus that you have received that grace. What's at stake in all of this? What's at stake when your ears are tickled to listen to a false teacher or something contrary to the teachings of Scripture? What's at stake? The gospel. When you see a brother or a sister walking in darkness, whether it's in community or at school or at the office or it's your own life, what's at stake? What matters? The gospel is what matters. And just like Apollo told Rocky, there is no tomorrow when Rocky wanted to bounce from training. Apollo redirects Rocky back to the reality of what was happening right then and there. That's what Paul does to the Galatians and that's what God does for us. He redirects us towards the cross of Jesus. Tell me if you know this hymn. So many times it happens too fast. It's not on the screen. So many times it happens too fast. You change your passion for glory. Don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. Remember that hymn? It's because it's not a hymn, right? That is the lyrics to Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Some of y'all were nodding. Let's just start Galatians from chapter 1 all over again. There's a little bit of truth in those lyrics. There's a little bit of truth. He's questioning Rocky's passion. What's at stake? The gospel. That is what we ought to be most passionate about. Paul to the Corinthians in uh, chapter 15 says that the gospel is of most importance. And the temptation for you and I is going to be to change what is our passion for our own self-glory. So hold fast to the cross. Persevere. Keep going. 
Rocky was ready to fight. The Apostle Paul was ready to contend for the gospel. We must be ready to contend for the gospel. And so as we close, Christian, what competes for the reign of your heart? Think about it. Take some time to reflect right now. What competes for the reign of your heart? Have you exchanged the truth of God for a lie? And if so, what is it? Has spirituality or even Christian culture simply become a walk that is absent of Jesus for you? This morning, let me invite you to repent. To lay it all on the line. To lay your heart out all before the Lord Jesus. The promise of the Bible is that he meets you where you are with his grace. Look to Jesus. Grace is yours through Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. The reign of your heart is the world and all of its fading desires. And the only one who could meet your deepest need is the Lord Jesus. You can come and know him by faith. So let me invite you to turn away from your sin and turn toward Jesus this morning. So church, as we close Galatians, the reminder of the cross is that Jesus did for us what the law or our accomplishments cannot do. You have been saved by grace and we are sustained by that same grace. Let's pray. God, we are not so different from the Galatians. In a letter that was written more than a millennia ago, we find ourselves captivated by some of the same things that they were struggling with. By your Spirit, you spoke through the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, and by that same Spirit, you speak to us through this letter. This is how we are reminded that your word does not return void. God, thank you for the letter to the Galatians. And so, Father, we confess that we, all, we too are captivated, willfully distracted, and sometimes spiritually exhausted by something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We confess our frailty before you, our offenses against you. And in your presence, we cast our burdens that our bones have grown so weary of before you. You call us beloved. You call us your prized possession. You call us sons and daughters. This is a sealed truth that no one can take away from us. And to this, it is all because of Jesus. Forgive us for wandering from your truth and forgetting your grace. By the same grace that this letter began and ended with,
by the grace that we are saved and sustained with, would you comfort us and call us back to yourself? Would you sanctify us? Would you lead us by your Spirit to Jesus? And may the beauty and splendor of the gospel of Jesus take root in our hearts so that we would be made more like Jesus and so that we would make Jesus known. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.